Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode 96. And in this episode, we'll continue on with the theme of tax deductions and discuss specifically about work-related clothing, dry cleaning, and laundromat expenses. This is one of those things that I'm sure a lot of people just don't claim, because either they don't know the eligibility criteria, or they just can't be bothered. What COVID has shown for a lot of doctors and nurses and those that wear uniforms is that a lot of that is actually claimable provided your uniform is distinct. Now, if you're non-medical, what's happened over the last eight months, particularly in hospitals and even in general practice clinics and specialist clinics, is that doctors and nurses are trying to avoid wearing their usual clothes and taking them home. So they usually come into clinic or come into hospital, change into uniform, and then go home. Now, in that circumstance, obviously the clinic or the specialist clinic or the hospital is providing uh, the the clothing. So obviously that's not really claimable because the person that's using it is not actually doing the laundromatting and doing the dry cleaning. But if you've bought specific uniforms during this time and you want to sequester that, and not really contaminate it with your regular clothes that you may have worn, and that uniform is quite distinct, then you may be eligible to claim some of those expenses. So we'll talk about that in detail in this episode. This is part three of the tax deduction series, and I have a total of six parts to it. So we're now halfway through the series and hope you're enjoying it. I've done a couple of episodes just prior, so if you're interested, go back and listen to that as well. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember there are three aims here. One is to be educated and be empowered about personal finances. Um, And with that empowerment means you can go to someone, your accountant, your lawyer, your personal financial advisor, and speak and understand at a level that is resemblance of some competence in terms of financial literacy. And the third aim is to be entertained. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. So please make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make to your appropriate advisors rather than listening to some random guy babbling on the internet. But if you're stuck on what to do, here are some simple basic principles and concepts to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax money and put it aside. If you can't do 20%, do 5%, do 10% and work your way up to that 20%. In my experience, 20% seems to be the relative minimum over the long term in order for you to be having enough money set aside for investment that can work for you in the long term and you can achieve real financial independence real financial independence over the long term. Step two is you take that 20% pay yourself money and you invest it. 
ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand the stock market, so I just invest in the stock market via index funds. Step three is you'll get dividends from those investments, so reinvest them, don't cash them out. The power of compounding of reinvesting those dividends is phenomenal. Step four is you do it for the long term, not seven, 10 or 15 years. I'm talking 20, 30 or even 40 plus years. The longer you do it, the more advantage it is for you and the greater wealth that you will build over the long term. And step five, my favorite, is to automate the investment forever. With automation means there's less chance for you to forget, there's less chance for you to make a mistake, and there's less chance for you to just spend that money because money just goes away from your bank account straight into your investments in an automated fashion so you don't have to think about it. Now, if you follow these five simple steps over the long term, you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need. With more money, remember, it's just a tool. Money doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, to make the lives of people around you a lot better. Now, before we go on to the main topic about deductions in terms of laundering expenses, a um, couple of, I guess, housekeeping announcements. Vanguard has moved people over to its new Vanguard online platform. Uh, personally, I think it looks great. Um, it's much more sophisticated than the older platforms, which I'm used to, because remember, I've been investing with Vanguard for a long time. Um, but one of the things I think that can really improve on is by providing a, an app, uh, to have an application, a mobile app or a tablet app, in order to start investing relatively easy or continuing the investment journey relatively easy would be great rather than having to sign up online and having to you know go through a website i think that's a bit of a deficiency so hopefully over the um, long term they will come up with a um, with an app which can be uh, you know very very useful particularly for the younger generation who are very very smartphone friendly um, and also the other thing i've noticed is they've now got two-factor ID identification when logging into your account. So basically, um, that's good news, which means that there's less chance of your money just going missing. Uh, if you just want to read up on what happened with customers of Robinhood in America, where basically um, assets were literally stolen by a cyber attack. So having two-factor ID is very, very good. Now, the other question that I've had um, by Anonymous is, can I please talk a little bit about deaccumulating assets? Um, you know, what's the point of investing in the long term if we don't have a strategy in order to deaccumulate assets? So um, this question is actually relatively complex and it's a little bit too personal because it really depends on what deaccumulation means for you. But let's discuss the concept of deaccumulation. Essentially, it's the opposite of what most of us are trying to do. That is, we are trying to save money, invest, and accumulate assets. We're in the accumulation phase of our superannuation, accumulation phase of our assets outside of super. So we save, we invest, we reinvest dividends, and we do it for the long term. So we can buy property, we can buy shares, we buy bonds, whatever investments it may be, we accumulate assets. Why do we do that? Because over time, we hope two things will happen. Number one is the assets produce an income. And number two is that the assets become more valuable in the long run. So when you do eventually sell it, you'll make a profit. 
So let's use an example. Rob here buys a home in his mid-30s. It cost him $500,000. He rents it out and earns an income yearly of about $23,000. That's a rental yield of about 4.6%, which isn't too bad compared to you know, yields at other places at the moment. In 30 years time, he'll be 65. He has two hopes. The first one is the property will now be worth more than what he paid for. So maybe the property doubled in value to $1 million, which is a pretty reasonable expectation over 30 years. In fact, it's probably going to triple. And over that 30 years, he still receives $25,000 per year in income uh, in rent. Um, sorry, not 25000 23000 which totally rough, uh, you know, totally equates to around $700 plus thousand dollars over the 30 years. That's how much income that he's going to generate from that single property. Now, I've assumed that he's never increased rent, and I've assumed that it's constantly being rented, and uh, this will average out over time. So maybe the rents may increase over time, and maybe there's some months where the uh, house is empty, but over time, on average, let's just assume that it's always rented, and the rent never increases over 30 years. So after 30 years, Rob has two options. The first one is to sell the property for a profit and live off that profit or keep the property, keep renting it out and keep his yearly income of $23,000 and live off this. And by this time, he would have paid off that property's loan as well. So how I see deaccumulation of assets? Well, I don't really worry too much about deaccumulating assets because I don't plan to ever sell any of my investments. I don't plan ever to sell any of my assets. I plan to live off the income and keep the principal. So when it comes to deaccumulation of assets, for me, it's a non-issue. There's something fundamentally different to the strategy of buying investments, keeping them, and then selling them for profit. That's not what I'm about. I'm not going to sell, and I have never have sold any of my investments that I've bought. The way I look at it is, why sell something if it keeps giving me free money, providing cash flow, which I've discussed in episode 52, and it provides cash flow for almost no effort? In my view, I need to have a really good reason to sell any of my assets, and I just can't envisage myself selling anything unless there is a major emergency, which hopefully I won't have, and even with the major emergency, hopefully my emergency funds will save me from selling assets, and also don't forget the personal insurance we all should be having. So refer to episode 5 and 66 when I talk about personal insurance. So from a deaccumulation standpoint, I don't plan to deaccumulate. I plan to accumulate for the rest of my life. And when I do retire, retire on a solid income, which is generated off my asset portfolio. So that's it. That's it for me for deaccumulation. Hopefully that sort of tidies up that concept and tidies up that question to Anonymous. Uh, but of course, if you are interested in selling your assets, that's always an option as well. Um, but the way I look at it is if it's producing income for little effort, then that cash flow and that dividend is absolute gold for me anyway. Now to the main topic, work-related clothing, laundromat expenses, and dry cleaning expenses. So first of all, when it comes to any expenses for these sort of things, how long do you need to keep expense records for? The general principles here are, you need to keep a representation of about a month's worth of expenses when it comes to clothing. 
um, particularly if the amount you claim for each deduction is greater than 150 bucks or the total claim exceeds $300. So let's get into the nitty gritties. Now I have to admit it's these expenses which are often not discussed very often in financial podcasts and to be honest I've never claimed dry cleaning or laundromat expenses so I learned a lot of new things researching and learning about this particular topic and I hope all of you get a lot out of this. So what sort of clothing can you claim a deduction for as an expense? So occupation specific, uh, basically any occupation which represents, um, uh, sorry, any clothing which represents your occupation to the public. Now the general pub test is, does the public easily recognize your occupation based on the clothing? For example, a chef's checkered pants or a nurse's scrubs. Now, you can't claim deductions for clothing which are generic. So a generic clothing is something like a suit, a tie, a shirt, black pants, or office shoes. Uh, otherwise, pretty much everyone in the CBD that works would be claiming those deductions. So those are generic clothes. So if you wear a suit, I can't really tell that you do a particular type of work. So they're not claimable. What about protective clothing? There are some professions that need protective clothing. Can they be claimed? And the answer is yes. If you need to wear protective clothing in order to protect yourself from injury or illness at your workplace, that is deemed claimable. The thing is though, your workplace shouldn't be providing you with that clothing for free. You should have to have to pay for that. And if, if you pay for it, then then only you can claim a deduction. You can't claim deductions on things you haven't paid for. So some examples of protective clothing might be fire-resistant clothing, steel-cap boots, high-resolution or high-vis safety vests, non-slip shoes, which is actually very common for hospital staff to wear, overalls, schmucks. Um, is that how you pronounce it? Schmucks? I'm not sure. Um, aprons um, to protect your um, normal clothing from soil or, or, or damage. Those are all things that can protect you at work from getting injured or getting an illness, so they're claimable if you fork out money to actually buy them and maintain them. What about work uniforms? Are they claimable? Generally, yes, and surprisingly, you can wear a uniform to work, and the uniform may not be compulsory at work, and you can still claim a deduction based on that expense. But there are some sort of restrictions on this. So, for example, the clothing must be unique and made for the employer. Um, so, uniforms with or without uh, a distinct logo or the clothing is not available to the mainstream public. So, if that particular uniform you can get from Kmart or Target, you can't claim it because, again, it doesn't distinguish your particular work to the public um, as opposed to any other person. But if it's made for you and it's got a distinct logo and you have to order it in, then yes, that is claimable as an expense. Some examples of that might be manufacturing companies often have work uniforms with unique logos, or hospital staff often have uniforms which have logos unique to them. Uh, this is actually not uncommon in the United States, for example, where doctors have their own logo and have their own name onto lab coats and things, particularly for physicians and surgeons. Uh, we don't see that very much in Australia, although you do see it on some of the tertiary quaternary centres. Uh, but certainly if you have a scrub and it's got your name on it, it's got a unique logo on it of your hospital, and you need to pay for it and maintain it, then yeah, that potentially could be claimable. So please check with your accountant. 
So what sort of clothing then is not claimable? We've already talked about generic clothes, suits, ties, shirts, trousers, blouses, which are generic. And this is despite the employer stating the clothes are compulsory for you to wear. So if you work in an environment where the employer, when the employer says that you need to wear a suit, then too bad. You still need to wear the suit because your employee wants you to and it's compulsory. And because it's a generic suit, you can't claim that as a tax, de tax deduction or a tax expense. Um, and the reason for that is they're not sufficiently distinct enough to highlight your profession, nor does it highlight your particular employer. Other clothes like ordinary jeans, closed shoes, they're not claimable as they don't offer sufficient protections in terms of workplace protections. So let's use an example to highlight some of these points. You're an IT professional and are working for a large accounting firm. You're required to attend to clients as part of your work. And this means wearing suits, trousers, ties and shirts. This is compulsory as stipulated by your employer and the contractual obligations. Is this claimable? And the answer is no. The suits, ties and shirts are not sufficiently distinct to highlight your profession or job or the employer and therefore you can't claim the purchase or cleaning of such clothing. That's a pretty simple one. Here's another example. You're a security guard for a large organization. Your employer requires you to purchase the uniform which is made to fit. During winter, you're also required to wear a specific jumper which has your organization's logo in it. You also need to wear a tie with a logo, specific steel cap boots for protection, and also specific socks. So it sounds like this security company is a bit hardcore in terms of its uniform, but I've just made it its hardcore, so it's relatively easy to understand the difference between what's claimable and what's not. Is this claimable? Well, yes, purchase of this uniform and all laundering expenses is claimable, including dry cleaning expenses. So that was pretty easy distinction between what is not claimable and what is claimable. What about uniform which is non-compulsory? Now, this might sound strange again, but we see this in the health industry all the time. Some staff decide to wear work uniforms, uh, which is not compulsory, but other staff don't. Uh, this is not uncommon in the medical or nursing industry. So how is this claimable? Well, it is claimable, provided your employer has registered the design with Oz Industry. So I genuinely did not know this, and I went and looked up what is Oz Industry, Oz Industry delivers programs for businesses and individuals worth around $2 billion per year, including innovation grants, clean technology grants, tax incentives, duty concessions, small business development, industry support, and venture capital. So that's something I didn't know. So you can claim something that is not compulsory provided the particular employer is registered with Oz Industry. What about shoes, socks, stockings? Can they form part of a non-compulsory uniform? And the answer is no. If it's compulsory though, the answer is yes, it is claimable. Let's move on to some more examples when it comes to laundering and dry cleaning expenses. Situation one, employer stipulates you wear a white t-shirt, blue trousers, a suit and black shoes. Is this claimable? And the answer is no, this is conventional clothing and has no identifying features. So that's pretty easy. Example two, employer asks you to wear black pants, but supplies you with a polo shirt, which has the company logo. Can you claim the cost of the polo top? The answer is no, because the company has provided it to you for free of expense. What about laundry and dry cleaning expenses for that polo top? The answer is yes. What about the cost and laundering of the black pants? 
The answer is no. This is generic and not sufficiently distinct enough to highlight your company. You can see there's a pattern here in terms of what is claimable and what is not claimable. Situation three, your employer asks you to wear black pants and asks you to purchase a top with a company logo on it. In this case, since you've spent money to actually purchase a compulsory uniform, you're allowed to claim the cost of the top and also the laundering and dry cleaning expenses of that top. Situation four, your employer asks you to buy a blue top and black pants from a specific ABC retailer. The, um, uh, the ABC is basically the name of the retailer. I just made that up. The clothing has no identifiable features on it to represent your work or employer company. Is this claimable? Now, I would have thought so because the employer has asked you to go to a specific retailer to buy it, even though it doesn't have any identifiable features, but apparently not. Your employer can ask you to go and buy a particular top at a particular shop, and it can still not be claimable if there is no identifiable factors that represent your job and represent your employer. So you can't claim it even if the employer stipulates you must buy it from a specific retailer, which is kind of a bummer. And that was a bit of a surprise for me. Um, and of course, in this case as well, the actual uh, clothes doesn't have anything sufficiently distinguishable, which features representing your job or your company. Situation five, your employer asks you to purchase a uniform with a logo, blouse and skirt. This is claimable and including the laundering claims too. Now, hopefully those five situations clarifies what sort of clothing you're allowed to claim as a deduction for the purchase and also the dry cleaning and laundering expenses. Now, going into laundering, and again, this is getting into the really nitty gritty. And again, I didn't know this and I had to really do some research. Here are some specifics about the laundering. This you might find interesting. What happens if you wash, dry and launder your own work-related clothes? Well, if you don't go to a laundromat or don't use a dry cleaning service, you can claim $1 per load or you can claim 50 cents per load if the load has some of your private used clothes too. Now, what happens if you receive an allowance for clothing from your employer? You've got to increase, uh, you've got to include all of your allowances as part of your accessible income and you can only deduct the portion of the allowance you've used to buy work-related clothing and not deduct the entire allowance if you've used it. So let's use an example to highlight this point. Suppose your employer provides you with an allowance of $500 to buy work clothing. You end up using $300 to buy the clothing. You will need to declare the $500 as part of your accessible income and then deduct the $300 portion of used money and still have $200 as accessible income declared. In other words, you can't fully deduct the $500 if you haven't used the entire amount. So it just makes sense to utilize the entire portion of the allowance, in my view, for the purposes of buying an appropriate uniform. And why do you want to give, you know, wasted allowances away? Um, if you have the luxury of an allowance, then try and use it. And this is very, very um, similar to doctors um, in, um, in public hospitals that get CME allowance. If you don't use the CME allowance, you lose it. So you might as well just use all of it because it is for your CME. You are entitled to it. It is for your professional development and it is for your continuing medical education. So that's about it for this episode, a relatively short episode. Thank you very much for questions, likes and comments. In the next episode, I want to tackle home office deductions, which are work-related, including working from home, 
during coronavirus pandemic. So that's going to be interesting. Please make sure you give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcast or any podcasting app you're using. Uh, it really helps me promote the podcast so people can download and listen to it. And it really does help with the algorithm for the searching of this podcast. And if you really want, leave a review too. As promised, I will you know, read creative reviews uh, on an episode if your review is interesting and explorable and reads well on the podcast. So really appreciate all of the reviews that have already been done. I've had heaps of ratings, five-star ratings at Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate that. It helps me promote this podcast. And remember, I do this for free. It is not for cost. You can download it, spread it, share it, whatever you want to do, because the aim of this podcast is essentially increasing your financial literacy. Remember to like the DevRaga Facebook page, shout out to questions and comments or topic suggestions, and thank you to those that contact me routinely with their questions. Um, share this channel with family and friends, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, CastBox, blah, 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 all of the major podcasting apps. Um, it is a free podcast to be shared. Follow me on Twitter. I am now on Twitter, Instagram. I'm also on the Facebook, um, Facebook page as well. So if you're into tweets, tweet at me, whatever. Um, I'm getting into the whole Twitter bandwagon now, although it's been around for a long time. I've never really been a Twitter fan, but I can see how some people are and I can see how it can be quite addictive. And remember, always pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside and always learn about income and deductions, particularly when it comes to work-related clothing, laundering and dry cleaning expenses. And of course, I didn't know about self-laundering expenses that you can claim. So that was an interesting thing to find out. Once again, this is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 96. And as always, please make sure you stay safe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.